Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? How good? Yeah, pretty good? I'm really good because I went to the Christmas party yesterday. I threw axes. I bowled a couple of bowls at the end. Didn't get a full game in, but uh, watched quite a bit. That was fun. Pool, ping pong. It was a great time. Okay. Are you guys ready to finish Colossians this morning? Did you realize so far we've gotten up through chapter 2, verse 15? And there's four chapters in Colossians. Is anyone else doing the math going, wait a second, how long are we going to be here? Um, Don't worry, don't fret. I have a plan for that. We might go just a little bit over today, but that's all right. We are going to finish today. It's been an awesome series about a letter written by the Apostle Paul from prison to a church in a city called Colossae in Asia Minor uh, in the first century. If you want to get out your Bibles and follow along this morning, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 16. Most of the uh, scripture that I read or put on the slides will be in the English Standard Version, ESV, if you're pulling out an app. There's a couple of NIVs in there because they had some phrases I really thought highlighted points well. But let's just review last week real quick, all right? Okay, Laura's ready. Thank you, Laura. So we covered chapter 1, verse 24 to 215 last week. Jesus is the center. He holds it all together. That's a theme every single week. Um, He's Lord and Christ. There was a trio of word pictures for us. Walk in him, be rooted in him, and be built up in him. And so we talked about that. Paul said, don't be taken captive by those who want to make you follow all the laws of Moses. He said Jesus supersedes and fulfills that. He does what the law could not do. And he presents Jesus as victorious over every ruler, authority, and power. And we're invited to join in the victory lap. Remember, the military parade through the street is the victory lap of Jesus. And we are invited to join him in it and enter into new creation life through him. So that was last week. So this week, here's my plan to get through this. We're not going to, we've read every word of every verse so far to this point, but we will not do that today. I'm going to summarize sometimes. I'm going to mainly highlight key points from the remaining part of the book. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Key ideas in the section 216 to 23. All right, this section picks up where Paul left off in the previous section. Remember, he was, um, he had a defense against people he called the circumcision party. If, if you missed last week, go check that out because I'm not going to re-explain all of it today. But now in this section, he reinforces and sort of adds layers to the defense against what those people were teaching. Uh, they wanted Gentile believers like the Colossians to follow the laws of Moses, um, and Paul is defending against that. So his key points are, hey, Jesus is all you need for salvation. To be in God's family, all you need is Jesus. Two, he says, don't come under judgment by the law of Moses and those who want uh, to push that. And then he points out how the laws are like a shadow, but Jesus is the substance, which is just a really cool word picture we could spend a lot of time on. That's from Colossians 2.17. I just want to read it. These things, talking about the laws, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
So Paul makes a really strong point here. He just hammers away at it for a bit. Um, But sometimes we can have a tendency in our day and age to read a point that he's not saying. We just got to pause here and check that out for a moment. He's not saying uh, rip up the binding of your Bible and take that first two thirds called the Old Testament and throw it in the trash because it doesn't apply anymore. He's not saying that. But sometimes we just slip a little too far that way when we go, Jesus is all we need. He fulfills it all. The Old Testament is not worthless. And it's not just a history lesson, but it's 100% God's word. It is rich and full and applicable to our lives today. And so I thought, why don't we take a little example to, to see if that's the case. So gentlemen, here in the room, watching online, this may be news to you, hopefully not. You're not required to be physically circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, from the back. I love it. We like to have fun too, Tim. <laughs> okay, so we're not required to do that physical act to be Christians and followers of Jesus, but there's a theme about circumcision all through the Old Testament. But it applies to all of us today, men and women alike. Actually, even in the Old Testament, sometimes it talks about the circumcision of the heart. And Paul says we've been changed in our relationship with the Lord by a circumcision, by the circumcision of Christ, are the words that he uses. So when you profess faith in Jesus, when you're baptized in his name, Something happened in your heart and in your spirit that is akin to circumcision. Or let's put it this way. The law built a structure of meaning, significance, and value in this example for circumcision. And it's fulfilled today in your life through Jesus Christ the Lord. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's his way of referring to the Old Testament. Law and prophets is a shorthand for that. He's not come to abolish them. He says, um, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he goes on to say that um, our righteousness as Christians should exceed the righteousness of those who are all about the law. It should go further. Actually, it should go deeper. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about taking rules that are at behavioral levels deeper to the heart of the matter. And so that's how we fulfill the laws of the Old Testament. That's how the richness, the value, the significance of what was there is applied in our lives. So it's a mistake to say that observing the law is required. That's what the circumcision party was doing. But it's also a mistake to say that the laws have no value and throw away your Old Testament. Sorry, the Bible's not getting shorter this morning. For those of you who think it's a big book, <laughs> we're going to keep it all. Um, so an, one more way to say it before we move on. Jesus expects us to take what was outward religious activity and apply it at the deepest level. In our heart, in our thoughts, in our spirit. So here's how we do it. We read the Old Testament, we read the Gospels, the letters, and the rest of the New Testament, and then we actually play it out in our lives. We play out how it all fits together and how it finds its fulfillment in us, in Jesus. 
Remember, Christ holds it all together. That's our theme phrase for this whole book of Colossians. And that's the point here. Okay, so we're going to move on from this section and from all that lost stuff to the next section. The rest of the letter, you could almost just sum it up with the phrase found in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I pulled them out. Put off the old self, put on the new self. That's the theme of the rest of the letter, except for the personal greetings at the very end, which I'm going to skip over for the sake of time this morning. Um, So Paul has done what in this letter exactly? Well, he put together a very clear picture of Jesus. Remember chapter one with the poem about how Jesus is God at work in creation, God at work in new creation, and how it's in him, through him, and by him. So there's this clear picture of Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation, before all things, the head of the body, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's preeminent. Just jogging your memory. If so, do one of these. Oh, good. Some of you are having memory jog. He's reconciler, redeemer, like Merrily read from Colossians 1 this morning. The second thing Paul does is really affirm the Colossians' faith. He says, hey, guys, you're in. You have a genuine faith and you're doing well. You're true believers. You're in God's family. You've received Jesus as Lord and Christ, and that's all you need. And so now the third part is live it out. Live out this new creation life. And he's going to give instructions of what that looks like. So let's check it out. Remember the three, I mentioned it already this morning, but last week we talked about a a trio of word pictures. Walk in him, be rooted in him, be built up in him. That was pretty cool. So we get another trio of mixed metaphors from Paul today. He likes to do this sort of thing. Um, Today, he talks about putting to death the old and being raised to the new life. And then he likes a clothing analogy. He says, rid yourself of the old clothes and be clothed in the new creation life. And then he also likes to say, set your mind on heaven, not on earthly things. So just briefly, die to old, be raised to new life, comes back to what he said about baptism, how we actually go under the waters of baptism, like being buried with Jesus. And we come up out of the water, raised to a new creation life spiritually, just as he physically was raised from the dead. So that's the picture that Paul's drawing from. He's saying, come alive in Christ and be a new creation. So the clothing, he says, take off the old way of living like clothes. Fold them up and get rid of them. Maybe don't fold them up. Maybe wad them up and chuck them. (laughs) Instead, put on your new creation clothes. Be clothed in something new. And then he goes into set your mind on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And so I don't want you to make a mistake here that's really easy for us to make. There's this very non-biblical idea that says that spiritual things are good and physical things are bad. And that is exactly not what Paul is saying. He is not saying that flesh and blood and physical things are bad and spiritual things are good. What he's saying is set your mind on the atmosphere of heaven that surrounds Jesus He's seated at the right hand of God. He died while he came in body, God in the flesh. He's already talked about that. He died on the cross, spilt his real blood. His real body was raised to life. And now he's seated at the throne in heaven. And so let's think about that. 
what qualities exist surrounding the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in heaven. That's what we want to think about. And so it's not some weird disembodied spiritual thing. That's not Christianity at all. In fact, the encouragement for us is to embody the atmosphere of heaven right here, right now, on earth. Make your fleshly body live out the new creation life that flows from Christ who sits on heaven's throne, who, by the way, is coming back with that physical body of his, his resurrected body. Okay, so that's a pretty cool trio. We could spend a lot of time there, right? But we are going to keep moving. With that in mind, what does Paul say should die? What are the clothes that need to be wadded up and thrown away? Okay, are you ready? (laughs) Here we go. First in chapter 3, verse 5 is sexual immorality. It's the first in his list, actually. So you guys, Christians, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have a beautiful new creation life in him. In new creation life, sex is a rich blessing from the Lord that is specifically reserved for a marriage where a man and a woman become one flesh in Christ. The relationship is blessed by God to be a reflection of the unity that's found in him. That's deep. And it's blessed to be fruitful, bearing children whenever possible, raising them in a Christ-centered family environment. That's what it's designed for. That's Christian sexuality. So what that means when Paul says sexual immorality is closed to wad up and throw away, it means that Christians don't have casual sex. They don't commit adultery. They don't look at porn. They don't have sex with someone who has the same anatomical parts as them. All of these are sinful distortions of God's good creation. And those things need to die in the life of every Christian. They need to be discarded like old clothes and replaced with the new creation way of life. Number two, in verse eight, I just lumped together a grouping here. Anger, wrath, malice, and slander. The new creation life is meant to be lived in harmony with others. And these things, this grouping of ideas... They break down relationships, and so they must go. They must die. So Christians apply self-control when they're angry. They don't take matters into their own hands because that would be wrathful. They don't intentionally harm others, not even with little jabs, little verbal jabs or passive aggressiveness, because that would be a form of malice. They don't spread rumors, whether true or false, about other people because that would be slander or gossip. And so I use harmony. It's the best word I can think of here. Because anger, wrath, malice, slander all disrupt relational harmony, don't they? Christians have become the body of Christ, the family of the Lord. And there should be harmony within a body. There should be harmony within the family. In another letter that Paul wrote called Romans, chapter 12, verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. In verse 18, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Paul punctuates it right here in the letter to the Colossians as well. In verse 11, he says, Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So there's no room for us to divide up what God has brought together. There's no room to talk bad about the church down the street that worships Jesus. There's no room for creating dividing lines within the family of God based on political party or economic status or race or ethnicity or preferences and styles of worship. There's just no room for that. That's not new creation life. It divides what Jesus went to the cross to bring together, to bring us into harmony in him. Amen. Preach it. Thanks for the encouragement. Um, so we're diverse in so many ways, but we're unified by our relationship with him. So it's totally okay for you to disagree with someone in the family. That's normal. That's expected in a multicultural, multi-ethnic family of God that's worldwide, punctuated by having Tim here from Thailand and showing pictures of people who don't look like us, who don't speak the same language as us. There's a lot of diversity in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. That's okay. And sometimes we disagree, and that's okay. But what's not okay is for us to hold anger in our heart because of our disagreements. Unresolved anger evolves slowly. It turns into something else, contempt. Which is really hate if we're honest with ourselves. And there's no hate in harmony. Feel the Lord on that. I'm, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Unresolved anger subtly evolves, becoming contempt for the other person. And that's really hate if we're honest with ourselves. And there's no hate in harmony. That's not what Christ went to the cross to create. Okay, so those are examples of the old creation stuff that we're going to throw away. What about the good stuff? What are we putting on? Um, in chapter 3, verse 12, the first thing is compassionate hearts. And immediately I think of Jesus. Jesus was so compassionate. Wow, I'm blown away by it as I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. He's so compassionate. Again and again, he sees people in need and his love for them creates a deep emotion that leads to action. It's how Jesus operated. And that's exactly what compassion is. It's love that generates powerful emotion that leads to action. Compassion is love, generates an emotion that leads to action. It's a package deal. It's actually who God is in that rich, full, 100% Inspired word, Old Testament. In uh, Exodus 34, 6, this is one of those NIV verses because it uses uh, a word I like. Um, it, God introduces himself to Moses. He proclaims his name, who he is, what he's like. So it's really important to pay attention to. And he says, I'm the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is full of compassion. And so the encouragement is for us to be that way too. Okay, another grouping. Patience, humility, forgiveness. This group cultivates harmony. These work together to sort of fill in the gaps. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So we all sin and screw up. If you have professed faith in Jesus, been baptized, the dead, you know, old man dies or woman dies, you're raised to new life, that is totally true. But then there's this challenge of trying to live new creation life. And we make mistakes regularly. It's not easy to immediately get it right all the time. At least not for me. If it is for you, let me know how you're doing it after service today. I'd love to know the key to success. So what happens is we gather in community, in family, with diversity, and we try to have harmony, but we hurt each other. It's a given. So to cultivate harmony, we need qualities at work that can fill in the gaps where we haven't got it figured out yet. Patience is a gap fill, filler. It's, it, patience really is like, me saying to you, I'm willing to wet the, let, <laughs> let's, let's take a drink. <laughs> After like two, it's time to just take a drink, regroup. Otherwise, you're going to do all sorts of gap filling with my language. Okay, patience is a gap filler. Patience is like me saying to you, I'm willing to let the Holy Spirit walk you from where you are to where you're going to be. Okay. I see your immaturity right now. Maybe it just hurt me, but I'm willing to give you space to walk with the Holy Spirit from there to where you're going to be. It fills in the gap. Actually, love covers over a multitude of sin. That's one of the Proverbs. It's a perfect application right here. That wasn't in my notes. But what I was thinking of is that I don't have to correct you. I don't have to hurt you back to let you know that you were wrong. If I have patience. And I trust the Holy Spirit to um, teach you all things. That's John 14, uh, 26. And to guide you into all truth. That's John 16, 13. So that's what it can look like to be patient or bear with one another, which is another phrase Paul uses right here in Colossians. It bridges the gap between who we are and who we're going to be when we're complete and whole and mature in Jesus. So I'm not saying that we never confront one another. That would be ridiculous um, to not do that. There are times to speak up and talk to somebody about when they've hurt you. Absolutely. And Paul actually writes in another letter a strategy for doing so. In Ephesians 4.15, he says to speak the truth in love. And so we come from a foundation of calm, peace, and we come for the good of the other person, not to satisfy our own needs. That's a deep one. Actually, think about that for a second. If I'm going to go do confrontation, I know I'm off on the right foot if I'm doing it for the good of you, not because I need to let you know I'm hurt. To restore relationships, that's another great way to think about it. I'm coming to confront, to speak up, to reconcile, not for any other purpose. Another quality in this grouping is humility. So this is when I screw up and hurt you, we can quickly restore harmony uh, if I have the strength to be humble and say I'm sorry. 
So by the way, it doesn't take any strength to just move on, to deny it when I screw up, um, or just try to avoid the mistakes that I've made. That's really easy. But it does take incredible strength and courage to say you're sorry, to actually own it, to say, you know what? I see what I just did to you. That hurt you. I'm really sorry. And then forgiveness is responding to that situation, isn't it? It's letting go of the hurt when someone says they're sorry. But it also means forgiving them when they don't say they're sorry, doesn't it? Amen. Paul says to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So I noticed something. Jesus didn't wait for me to say sorry to go to the cross. He didn't wait until you said sorry to go to the cross and die for your sins. Right? What did he say when he was hanging there about the guys who just put nails through his flesh? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So he went first, didn't he, in forgiving and waited for us to see that forgiveness and respond to it and repent. So we aim to forgive in the same way as Jesus, sacrificing for the good of the other, enduring the pain, but willing to forgive because we love the Lord and we have love for the other person just like Jesus loved us. That is good stuff right there. I love Colossians. Merrily read it earlier and I was like, dang, I love this letter. So good. Okay, so Paul kind of wraps up this section of what we've just been talking about in verse 14. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's well said. Okay, this is the last section we're going to tackle. It is chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, okay? This is an abbreviated uh, version of what you'll find in Ephesians 5, verses 21 through chapter 6, verse 9. Okay, so if you go to Ephesians 5, you're going to find an expanded version of what's right here in Colossians. Paul writes to wives and husbands, to children and fathers, to slaves and masters. And in the, yeah, you're like, like three minutes left of service, he's going to tackle this one. Yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> um, in the society surrounding the Colossian believers, first century Roman Empire, okay? Each of these pairs that I just talked about is made up of exactly one authority figure. The husband, the father, the master. They had absolute controlling authority in the household in that culture, Greco-Roman culture. So when Paul writes, wives and husbands, uh, children and fathers, slaves and masters, he equally writes to both. It's actually a radical counter-cultural thing to address both groups equally. He's showing value, extreme value and honor for people who were not given value and honor in that culture. So let's recognize that for what it is rather than impose our modern day um, preferences for what we wish Paul would have wrote. 
You get what I'm saying there? Read into that. Think about that one if not, because we got to keep going. So what does he write to each authority figure in those pairings? He writes love. Don't provoke. Be just and fair because you have a master in heaven. Paul says to each person in authority in that culture to lower themselves, to sacrifice and serve the one holding less social power. That's what Jesus did. (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus did on a way grander scale than we could ever possibly do with our little tiny bits of authority in this life. Okay. So this is really consistent with how Paul starts this topic in Ephesians. He says, keep submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you go to Ephesians in your Bible, it it might not say keep submitting, but that's what the original language actually points to. Keep submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's consistent with what we just read about here in Colossians. Be compassionate, show kindness, be humble and meek. Be loving and in harmony. That applies across the board. We don't throw all that away now that he's talking about people who are in disparate authority structures in the culture. It all applies right here in these relationships. So we see a continuation of the same theme, but applied to these men of power in that culture. He says, show compassion to your wife. Be kind to your children. Treat your slaves with humility. Lower yourself. In all these existing relationships in that culture, the call is to love, serve, and be in harmony with people of lower position. Wow. Jesus ushered in a new creation order. In the new order, we don't follow the world's power structures. In the new creation order that Jesus instituted, we don't follow the world's power structures. We follow the example of Jesus, who humbled himself and sacrificed his life for those without power, you and me. In another letter, Paul writes, There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 The playing field is leveled completely in the kingdom of God, isn't it? Okay. We've come to the end of our Colossians series, you guys. But I just want to summarize it all up, okay? There was a lot to chew on today. (laughs) Um, But let's sum up where we've been across all four weeks of this awesome letter. Jesus holds it all together. He's God at work in creation He's God in the flesh, reconciling everything to himself in a new creation. Our initiation into new creation is represented in baptism. We dip under the water and we're buried with Jesus. We're raised to new life out of the baptism waters, just as he was resurrected from the grave. Then we walk in him. We're rooted in him. We're built up in him. He cancels the record of debt against us, nailing it to the cross. That's a good verse. We don't have to be captive to the Old Testament laws. Instead, we live out the deep heart level fulfillment as new creations in Christ. And this is reflected in ordering our households under the authority and lordship of Jesus as we create harmony by loving, sacrificing, and submitting to one another. 
What a letter. Wow. I hope your love for God's word has grown over the course of this series. If you missed any of them, they're all on YouTube and Facebook to check them out. I hope you're encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus Christ the Lord. And may the Lord just bless you richly as Christ holds it all together in your life and in this family of believers. Thanks. So I have one, I want you to do something. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great job. So I have the idea to close the service with two prayers. Um, the first, would you just pray over the congregation? You've, you've partaken of Colossians and you've studied it. We just want you to pray over us what it is and impart what you want us to receive most and just bless us with that. Would you do that? Yes, absolutely. Let's receive. I thought you were going to hold my hand for a second. Okay. And you didn't. Okay. I, I liked that idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's pray. Hmm. Father God, thank you for your word. Hmm. Jesus, thank you for coming as a person <laughs> in the flesh. God in the flesh, dying for us. Thank you that you were resurrected. You're alive today and you're victorious. Help us as a community of people who believe that to never forget it. Help us to, to be always aware of who you are and what you've done and that you're right here and we get to participate in it. And Lord, help us to create a community that follows the pattern for the new creation that you've instituted and you're going to bring to fullness. Help us to live in harmony sacrificing for one another, serving one another, loving one another, confronting one another in love for the good of one another. Help us to do a good job of recognizing the old junk that needs to die and be thrown away. I pray you'd bless each individual's process along the way. Help us to encourage each other to that end, to walk with each other through the times where it's not going so good to celebrate with one another when it is. And Lord, I'm thankful because I think we've got a good thing going here at New Day. I think we're doing it pretty well. Pray we'd continue to do so and welcome others into that new creation life here at this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.